0: The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio show do not necessarily
1: reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12 step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior
0: to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Greetings, all you recovery scallywags, and all of those of you who are tuning in to this week's Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder. It is a beautiful day in Albany, Oregon. Hey, Chris, you know, the lyrics to that song, uh, part of the lyrics to that is, uh, Remember Me, I'm the One Down on the Floor. Did you fall down much when you were drinking?
1: Uh, Unfortunately, Monty, the last two or three years of my drinking, every single night I would be sitting in a chair at my desk drinking, and I would fall out of the chair and (laughs) crash to the floor. So, so every every single night somewhere around 11 or 12 o'clock at night I would come to and sta you know stagger up and uh, and fall into bed. But yes, I was the man down on the floor. But probably one of the worst things that ever happened to me. One time I passed out like that when I was in Florida and uh we had some guests over And one of the guests thought it would be a good idea to take me by the ankles and drag me through the living room, uh, down through the hallway, all the way into my bedroom and throw me in bed. And that, that would have been fine, except I woke up the next day with no skin on my shoulder blades. They had rug burned me while I was oh, unconscious. Oh, wow! I literally, literally had no skin on my shoulder blades, with much to my <laughs> consternation. But uh, you know, you know how it is w- with us. We, we, uh, you know, we we struggle on. We don't let a little thing like no skin on the shoulder blade stop us.
0: I, I woke up in a phone booth one time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness it was closed and nobody could see me, because the the bottom part of that is is got a a covering thing, you know. But, yeah, that was pretty interesting. I had no idea how I got there. I, I, maybe I was trying to call somebody for... Uh Meeting uh, schedule,
1: <laughs> you know. It, it never. Ne- I'll tell you. I, I crashed uh, nine cars in in, uh, in in blackouts because I passed out while I was driving. Oh nine man, nine times. Uh, you know, it's it, 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 the alcoholic is usually someone who can't learn a lesson the first time. You know,
0: that is the uh, case. We have
1: to. We have to be. Uh, we have to be tested time and time again before we finally realize that. You know, maybe we should stop driving, if not drinking and driving.
0: You you know, I I caught my hoo-hoo in my zipper in my pants when I was very (laughs) young, and I only had to do that once, Chris.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that is a sign of alcohol. You know, there's there's, there's, uh, warning signs of alcoholism. Uh, 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 Being unable to operate your pants zipper is one of them, Monty.
0: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, Well, one of the things that we're going to start doing, listeners, that is new... And we're doing it with uh, several of our shows. Uh, is We're going to be recommending a book here at uh, uh, Walking Through the Big Book. Um, Chris is going to recommend a book every week. And then uh, we'll have the link uh, on the page, as you see right here, um, that will take you directly to Amazon's uh, page where you can pick up that book. And in, in doing so, um, you will be helping out Take12Radio.com as well. Um, and what, what is the book that you recommend this week?
1: Well, the book that really has my attention this week, I, I had the honor of, um, of interviewing earlier on Afflicted and Affected earlier today, uh, Bill White, uh, the author of Slaying the Dragon. Playing the Dragon is the definitive reference source on the history of alcohol and drug addiction treatment. I mean, he goes back into the processes that they're, you know, the... They were doing lobotomies and stuff like that back in the 1800s, and, and some of uh, some of the interventions for uh, for alcoholism or drug addiction were horrific. Monty and <laughs> he just did such an incredible job going uh, back in with these reference sources and finding out this information. And he also he also covers uh, the mutual help uh, organizations, the the support group organizations, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, he he. he uh, very very uh, detailed uh, goes into the history of the Washingtonians and uh, a couple of dozen of the uh, uh, evangelical movements around the turn of the century that were instrumental in uh, in showing everybody that uh, addiction and alcoholism uh, can be treated with spiritual means and I, I'll tell you I, I just I really line up with the guy he he is uh, he's absolutely on, on the top pinnacle of the field of uh, addiction treatment and his book is marvelous. So, I highly recommend that to anyone that is interested in you know well, the history of addiction treatment, the history of alcoholism treatment, and a a really really great perspective on what should be happening in the future what What are some of the things that we we need to be aware of? Mm-hmm. Uh, as we move into the, the, tw- the 21st century as far as addiction and alcoholism treatment are concerned.
0: Yeah, okay, that is Slaying the Dragon by William White. Uh, if you look down on the page here uh, that most of you are probably uh, looking at on your on your PC, uh, you'll see the link to that. Just click on that or a little Amazon logo and it'll take you directly to that page. And by the way, listeners, I want you to know something. If you go to Amazon and you see a book, and it says new, and it has a certain price, and then it says uh, how many used they have, majority of the time those used ones are new ones. <laughs> They're just overstocked. So, you know, yeah, you can take advantage of that. Okay, today on Walking Through the Big Book, we are picking up in We Agnostics again, and we are at the bottom uh, paragraph of page 50 in the fourth edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. What's going on?
1: Well, you know, we are, uh, we're covering we agnostics in a very methodical uh, manner. This is the third week we're on, and I'm not even sure we're going to finish this week, Monty. But it is so important, this, this chapter and the concept of spiritual recovery, of, um, of a connection to God as far as the ultimate solution mm-hmm. to addictive illness it 's so important you know there's there's a lot of people that'll tell you a lot of things out there there's a lot of people who are advertising cures for addiction and alcoholism and there's a, you know there's a lot of people that that uh, that talk about uh, recovery from this illness uh, that does not have to do with spirituality or with a belief in God. And, you know, all I can say is I'm not going to criticize uh, any, any specific uh, methodology. I think if something works for you, that's great. But when you look at the amount of recoveries that have taken place through um, uh, basically through adherence to the processes in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, you're going to see that, that this, is, this is the way that has worked for the most people the most times. So if you are suffering from alcoholism or even even uh, uh, different kinds of addictive illness, it's important for you to pay attention to what they're trying to talk about in this book. The whole purpose of the book Alcoholics Anonymous is to lead you to come to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity, and then offer you uh, the actions necessary for you to develop uh, a personal relationship with uh, with that power that can solve your problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I I think we're you know I think we're uh, we're going through this chapter particularly slowly, but I think it's because it's so important.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: All right, let's pick up here on the bottom of fifty. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. Now, that's a powerful, uh, that's a powerful sentence. Uh, all they needed to do was take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things. That results in a revolutionary change in their way of living, how they're acting, and they're thinking. Yeah. You know, really all you have is the way you act and the way you think. And to have a revolutionary change, that, that's, that's the significant personality change. That shift in perception and personality and behavior mm-hmm. that they're talking about for uh, for recovery, that's necessary for recovery when you hear somebody uh, when you hear somebody say that you know that all you need to do is not drink uh that's usually a heavy drinker who's been successful just not drinking uh, the alcoholic the, the person that this book was written for is someone that needs an entire psychic change they need a revolutionary change in the way they live and in the way they think in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. See, they're talking about the beginning of the spiritual awakening here. I've got to tell you, but I was facing collapse. I was facing despair. I was facing a lot more than that. I was facing imminent death. Uh-huh. And I've got to tell you, the total failure of my human resources was pretty apparent, um, As I started to get involved in this, um, uh, I started off very slowly. You don't need to start off slowly. Uh, I didn't know any better. But what did happen was when I started to, um, to work these steps, power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowed into me, too. And I have those things today. <clears throat> I have an amazing amount of power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction in my life. It's it's startling compared to to, to how lost I was in the eighties.
0: You know, this says this is they found they found a new power. Uh, I I don't know who it was that I was listening to, said that step one wasn't so much about powerlessness as it was about power. And I thought what what he said was was really intriguing to me he was talking about we're powerless over alcohol he says but doing these steps and turning your will and your life over to the care of the creator that's about tapping into his power so you can stay sober and so you can change your life and so really it's about receiving power and here it says that that we find a new power
1: Absolutely. We, we, we certainly uh, connect and allow a power to manifest uh, through us. And, you know, this, this is the marvelous thing, I think, about this recovery process. You know, when you think of uh, uh, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and, the, uh, and Hank Parkers and the people that were putting all this together, <clears throat> you know, they really did tap into the direct interventionary power of God and then they decided to show other people how to do it too. And you know, I've listen, I've read a lot of self-help books, Monty. I had shelves of them. And they were all about how to be a better you, how to, you know, how to do things better, how to change the way you think, how to change the way you behave. And they're all uh, basically leading you toward uh, an improved self-awareness or a pro- an improved behavioral pattern. Uh-huh. And and there's very few books out there that are about tapping into the actual power of God. And you know, yeah. this this is one of them. And and this really is the only thing I've seen. I've worked with a lot of hope, hopeless drunks. I've I've uh, you know I've I've been volunteering at VAs and rehabs and detoxes and. Uh, I'm, old, I'm forever being, you know, sent people uh, to, to work with who are really at the bottom level. These are people who've been in treatment 15 times, and, you know, they're showing up at support group meetings, and they're relapsing, and everybody's mad at them, and they're just at the absolute lowest uh, lowest possible rung on the ladder. And I have seen them embrace this process and not only get sober and recover, but reclaim a life that they've never even had beforehand, I, I think a grateful alcoholic is is not someone who gets their life back, but it's someone who has a much improved life even before they started drinking uh, that their life is improved from anything they 've experienced before in their life, and you know this is, what is uh, this is what can happen when you can tap in when they show you the very simple way of tapping into the power of God
0: yeah, good word excellent. <clears throat>
1: This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Now, again, this is a program of action. This is not a suggested uh, uh, program of suggestions. It's a suggested program. So if you want these things, you can't read about them. You can't think about them. You actually have to do them. So these few simple requirements, and they say there's no requirements, uh, in, in, in some of the support groups. Well, I, I beg to differ. There's a whole yeah. lot of musts. You bet. I, you. Don't, think, I don't think there's uh, any more than one requirement for membership in a, in a support group with 12 traditions. But I'll tell you what, for re- recovery or sobriety, there's a whole lot of requirements. Mm-hmm. I beg, there's a whole lot of musts. Yeah. <clears throat> Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so un- unsatisfactory. Now, I like this because I don't know about uh, about you, but when I first was uh, trying to struggle my way sober, you know, I was on the spin-dry cycle, I really thought that all I needed to do was stop drinking. Sure. Everything else would fall into place. Now, this, these people who wrote this book understand that you don't have a drinking problem. You have a sobriety problem. You You can't, you can't stay sober... Sobriety becomes untenable after a period of time to the alcoholic. So they say, leave aside the drink question. Don't even think about the booze. Why is your life so unsatisfactory? Why is living your life so unsatisfactory? And they go on to talk about a number of things in this, especially in the next chapter, that really shows that our lives really are unsatisfactory. And it has to do with our alcoholism not necessarily our abusive drinking. Yeah. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. I love that.
0: Yeah, that's good. The consciousness
1: of the presence of God. That, to me, is the most important thing in my life today. I think I talked a little bit last week about um about some of the studies that i've been doing over the years and one you know one of them was really trying to understand what saint paul was saying when he made the statement pray without ceasing
0: yeah uh
1: i i believe that the consciousness of the presence of god is almost in every waking moment you know that god is with you and that is an amazing that offers an amazing sense of power and comfort to me. It just—it just really does. When I was out there drinking, money, I was on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a lot closer to the devil than I was <laughs> than I, than I yeah. was God, and and it was lonely and it was scary. Now, who wants to live with loneliness? Who wants to live with fear all the time and anxiety? When you really tap into the consciousness of the presence of God, uh, you have a sense of power, a a sense. Uh, you know, a sense of comfort, a sense of assurance that everything is going to be okay. Hey. And I think that's what we looked for in alcohol. I don't know about you, but sometimes when life was just getting to be too much, I knew four or five drinks and I wasn't going to worry about it. Anymore. Yeah, we're gonna,
0: we were going to feel, feel that comfort we were searching for. I think um, what you're talking about, at least for me, is that that serenity that I have regardless of how I feel. Because... When my feelings are hurt or I'm just absolutely wiped out or or depressed or whatever, I can turn to the facts, or actually, I'll change that. I can turn to the truth that regardless of how I feel, God is with me. And then that gives me that serenity that so many people balk at. My sponsor, they call Serenity Jay, because when he shares, he starts out with, my name is Jay, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm celebrating serenity today because I, ha- I, I haven't had the uh, urge to drink. And they say, well, how can you have serenity all the time? He says, well, number one, I know that I'm powerless over your choices. And that helps. And, <laughs> and number two, I know I know that God is God.
1: You know, Monty, if you could bottle serenity, not only would it knock crack off the market, but you would become an instant trillionaire. Because I think that that's what I think that's what we're all looking for. Yeah, and we're all trying to find it in different ways. And most of the ways we're trying to find it uh, uh, are not the right ways uh, to find it. I mean, have you ever met, like, a, a, a religious man or a very spiritual man who, they're they're unflappable. They have a smile on their face. You know, the building could be being bombed, <laughs> yeah. and they would have that sense of peace and serenity about them.
0: Yep, I've met people like you know, that.
1: Some of them are insane, yeah. but, but some of them actually have, have that real, live serenity. You, uh-huh. know, you can attain that. You can attain some really true happiness in your life. And the crazy thing is, this book, Alcoholics Anonymous, is a great introductory to the, the, the spiritual living that you need to participate in to find that. To find that, yep. This world of ours has made more uh, material progress in the last century than all, in all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best today, yet in ancient times material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought a round earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. You know, this is, this is very, very true. Uh, what would what would happen is uh, scientists there were brilliant people uh, who were around, uh, but they would come up they would come up with uh, a really brilliant idea that might go against some of the common practices, and you had to you had to watch yourself back in those days. They'd burn you at the stake. They'd execute you. They they de- you know declare you uh, a heretic or a, a political agitator. So, uh, the progress was very, very slow up until the last 150 years or so, uh, because you could be put to death for having a good idea, unfortunately. Yeah. We asked ourselves this, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Uh, You know, am I unreasonable? Am I biased about the spiritual world? When I first, when I first got sober, Monty, you absolutely know it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I didn't think there were going to be answers in, in in the spiritual world, but I was seeking. I was seeking the spiritual world. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, Carl Young made a play on words in a letter to to Bill Wilson one time. Uh, uh, you know, you go to the spirit shop. You know, a lot of times the old liquor stores were were called the spirit shops. Spirit shops, yeah, you bet. <clears throat> okay, uh, he made a play on the word spiritus. Uh, and spirits. Now, spiritus is like the breath, or the, the knowing or understanding of God. And he likened it to the alcohol. Like, what we, what alcoholics are looking for is they're looking for a touch of the divine. They're looking for a connection in the divine. And Carl Jung recognized that and did a play on, on the words. And I think I was looking for it, but I also think I was biased and I was unreasonable. I I was not open uh, and teachable as far as the spiritual world was concerned. I mm. just really, you know, I really thought I knew everything, you know? Yeah. I thought I was smarter than most people and understood things at a deeper level than most people, and, and yet I was dying from a, a, a spiritual, physical, and mental illness.
0: Boy, I got to tell you, that mirrors me. I, I was... I thought that everybody was supposed to have a sensitive heart, be as sensitive as I was and caring as I was. I couldn't understand when people would blow people off and, and all that kind of stuff. And the, and there I was, the sickest person I knew in my circle of drinking friends.
1: It says here, even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before... Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said God reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. But in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Show any a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moons by means of a rocket, and he will say, I bet they do it. Maybe not so long either. Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does? Now here's where he's trying to soften us up, I believe. Okay? Okay. He's talking about that t- today we really can, with ease, discard old ideas for new. We can be completely ready to throw away a theory or a gadget which does not work for something new that does. And that's, that's absolutely true. We need to be open-minded like that in the spiritual world if we're blocked off uh, from, from the spiritual world or from a relationship to, uh, with God. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems this same readiness to change our point of view. Here, these are the bedevilments. Now, what what I want to do is I want to go over these in in a very, very specific way, Monty. Uh, Untreated alcoholism, okay? Untreated alcoholism. Uh, Let's look at the spiritual malady. Let's look at where our lives have become unmanageable. Now, this is a really, really good description of untreated alcoholism. Leave aside. Well, they told us earlier to leave aside the drink question. Forget about drinking. Let's just look at our, our lives. And I like to turn these statements into personal questions. So uh, I'll read them and then I'll turn them into, into personal questions because I think this this is what I call the bedevilment exercise. It's, it's a first step, uh, first step awareness exercise. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were afraid of misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Okay, these are some of the bedevilments. Now, here's how I turn them into questions. Uh, Was Chris having trouble with personal relationships? I wasn't getting along with anybody, Monty. (laughs) Uh, could Chris control his emotional nature? I was suffering from depression, guilt, remorse, anxiety. I couldn't wish those things away. Yeah. I was controlled. I was being driven by them. Will we pray to misery and depression? Absolutely. Uh, uh, could Chris make a living? Now, uh, now, we're not talking necessarily about making money. I know a lot of people uh, that get into, um, uh, start, start their journey into sobriety when they're making a lot of money we're talking about can you design a life can you design a satisfactory life for yourself we had a feeling of uselessness Uh, I I felt useless Um, was Chris full of fear I had anxiety that was wrapped around me like a wet blanket Uh, I it was difficult for me to go uptown to a store without having three or four drinks was Chris unhappy absolutely I was looking back on the past and thinking, you know, the, you know the, those, those people did this to me, and, you know, she left me when I needed her most, and these bosses are jerks. I mean, I was completely unhappy. Uh, could I seem to be of real help to other people? Now, I, I'd make a funeral about me. You know, I'd, sort of <laughs> say, you know, we're going to so-and-so's funeral. I'm like, he died on me? You know, i got to get all dressed up? <laughs> you know, this is inconvenient. I, I mean, uh, I, I couldn't seem to be of real help. I, I wanted to be of help to people. But I made everything about me. You know, there'd be a uh, there'd be Christmas, you know, over over at the Schroders or something, and, and I turned it into a nightmare because my expectations weren't being met, and all of this was just horrible. Now, here's the question: Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see news reels of lunar flight? Of course, it was. I, I don't know that he put that in the best possible words. Here's how I would I would say it it's not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than me being right okay yeah would you rather change your mind and survive or be right and die yeah Is really the question when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe we had to stop doubting the power of god our ideas did not work but the God idea did. It worked for the first 100. It worked for the people who put this book together. And i got to tell you, Monty, they were much lower-bottom alcoholics than, uh, than, than you or I. And, and we were pretty bad, you know. Uh, these, these were asylum, uh, you know, hospital-type uh, type, uh, type alcoholics. And uh, a reliance upon the spirit of the universe. I, I do that today. You know, I have my own personal uh, relationship with God, as, as do you, and, mm-hmm. and as should, uh, should us all. Uh, but I have a reliance uh, upon God, and that may, that just makes things easier for me. I don't worry as much. I have a lot more serenity, and I'm not I'm not in that uh, in that spiritually deteriorated place where alcohol looks like a good solution.
0: And I I, I believe that you know, and getting to know you uh, over time here, I believe that that we both uh, really hold on to the the truth that we have a living, breathing relationship with our Creator. It's not just a recognizing that there is a higher power.
1: When you experience the power of God coming through you, and I don't mean this in some wacky way. Right. I'm meaning a new power, a sense of direction, a purpose, an ability to do things that you you just couldn't do before that relationship was established. When you experience that, you know you, you know it's, it's an experience it's, you go from belief uh, to to faith, and I'll explain the difference between belief and faith from my, my perspective. Let's say you move into a new town you're, you're Eugene, Oregon or something you know you, you, you haven't lived there before, and uh, your car is is running really bad, and you, you know you need to get it to a mechanic and, and you believe there's a mechanic down at the end of the road you believe that mechanic can fix the car. So you take it down to that mechanic. Now, not only does that mechanic fix the car, but it's running better. When you get it back, it's running better than it ever has before. You know, he. he, he the next time you need mechanical work, you're not gonna believe he can fix it. You're gonna have faith that he can fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and faith is born sometimes from experience. Uh, and I believe that the faith I have today is based on a million things that have happened in my life that could not have been coincidence they could not have come about by chaos theory they were they were directly uh it was a direct spiritual manipulation uh from a power greater than myself because it's the only way to describe how these things happen and that's built up uh, an incredible faith in in my life today i just I just don't believe anything's going to get through to me that uh, that my higher power or God doesn't want to get through to me. I just don't believe that today.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. Without that, nothing could have happened. We agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. Logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. It is not by chance we were given the power to reason, to examine the evidence of our senses, and to draw conclusions. That is one of man's magnificent attributes. We, agnostically inclined, would not feel satisfied with a proposal which does not lend itself to reasonable approach and interpretation. Hence, we are at pains to tell why we think our present faith is reasonable, why we think it more sane and logical to believe than not to believe, why we say our former thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said, we don't know. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that God either is everything or else, uh, or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? This is the second step proposition. This is a proposition that we all need to, uh, need to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. This is basically a, uh, the second step uh, proposition. It's really a conclusion that we need to come to in our mind. God either, either is everything or, or, or he's nothing. Now you don't necessarily have to say yes, God is everything or He's nothing. Uh, uh, you, I've known a lot of people who've come to the the consciousness of the presence of God in some of the later steps, but this is something that you need to look at. You know, God either is or He isn't. There was a wonderful talk that uh, that I heard, and it was uh, it was given by uh, it was given by a Buddhist priest. And he shocked everybody, Monty. You know, everybody's sitting there waiting and listening, listening. you know, uh, waiting for him to talk. And he finally speaks, and the first thing he says is, there is no God. And everybody's, like, shocked because, you know, everybody came there to hear him talk about spirituality right. and about God. And then he, then, he, then he came up with the second sentence. He said, there is no God. Then the second sentence was, but all there is. Is godliness, and then he starts talking about the spiritual world and the manifestations of God, and how God is in everything, and how this this whole world is a is a creation of God, and uh, it was uh it, it was a significant it was a significant event for me uh, to uh, to hear that
0: he got their attention, didn't he?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, everybody was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, yeah. Nobody nobody could. Be. So God is either uh, everything or he's nothing. I don't know what you'll say, Monty, but I'll say God is everything. That's, that's my choice.
0: I certainly concur.
1: Okay. Arrived at this point, we were squarely fr- confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promises of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits friendly hands had stretched out and welcome. We were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile, and we did not like to lose our support. This happens so often. Have you, have you, so, so many people who get into recovery or get involved in support groups. They're like the squirrel in the road. Have you ever been driving down the road and a squirrel will run out in front of the car and he'll get almost all the way across the road? And stop. And then he'll turn around and he'll run back and you'll run over him. I know. What is if that about? Have, would have kept going. <laughs> you know, so, many, so many people get involved in these recovery processes and they make it. They're, they're, they're almost all the way over the bridge of reason to the desired shore of faith, yet they can't jump ashore. You know, that's where, that's where we have to be the people reaching out our hands saying, yes, this is real. Recovery is real. Your life can get better. Please come with us. You know, that's, that's our job.
0: Yeah, you bet.
1: Um, that was natural, but let us think a little more closely. Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith, for did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? What was that but a sort of faith? Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful to the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. We found, too, that we had been worshipers. What a state of mental goose flesh that used to bring on. Had we not variously worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, ourselves? And then with a better motive, have we not worshipfully beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower? Who of us had not loved something or somebody? How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason? Little or nothing we saw at last. Were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed? Did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? It was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith or love or worship. In one form or another, we had been living by faith and little else. Imagine life without faith. Were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. You'd be like Spock on Star Trek. Yeah. But but we believed in life. Of course we did. We could not prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line is the shortest distance between two points, yet there it was. Could we still say that the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons created out of nothing, meaning nothing, whirling on to a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seem more intelligent than that, at least for so the <laughs> chemist said. And it's funny that he was writing this in, like, 1938. Uh, Monty, physicists, current physicists, are believing. They're believing more and more in uh, the divine uh, intelligence of matter and the universe. Uh, they're, they're starting to believe that these particles and these waves and, 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 the, and light and all these other things are manifestation of a divine idea. They just don't have any better, any better explanation. It's, it's, and uh, I can't believe that Bill was really writing this back then because that this is where modern physics and uh, uh, and uh, the origin of the universe studies are going these days.
0: Well, it's it it is. Uh, I think is being proven over and over again, uh, particularly with the turn of uh scientists and those who investigate in those realms uh very few of them even believe in the big bang theory anymore i mean they they're going away from that and and the deal of it is the big bang theory really doesn't match up with science the spiritual uh manifestations of, of god's work actually is very scientific
1: oh uh you know there's i i believe in it i believe in it, uh, I believe in it uh, very very much that uh, when you look into uh, when you look at into probability theory about how how probable is it that the Earth is here right now with all these living organisms on it and mankind is intelligent and, and you if you look into the probabilities it, it, the probabilities is like ten to the 500th power it's it, it, there's not even a number for uh, for how impossible it would have been for it just to create itself yeah so uh so again uh, we're we're going back to um uh, to faith 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 in a in a in divine reason you know yeah. uh there there is divine reason out there our reasons uh, on our own uh, can get pretty pretty warped pretty quickly, <laughs> hence we saw that reason isn't everything uh neither is reason as most of us use it entirely dependable though it emanate from our best minds. What about people who proved that man can never fly? Yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems. They said God made these things possible, and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. That's where the idea of God comes from. It's it's innate in us. Monty, it's, it's built in. Yeah, It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it is there. For mm-hmm. a faith and a power greater than ourselves, and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. I have had miraculous demonstrations uh, happen to me uh, time and time again. We finally saw that faith in some kind of a God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. I like this paragraph, too. This paragraph really uh, says a lot. Um, Faith in God is part of our makeup, he's saying. We have to search fearlessly, but God is there within us. Uh, he is as much of a fact as we were. <clears throat> we found the great reality of God deep down within us. and the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. And, I, you know, I believe that uh, the spiritual life, I believe this relationship with God, it has to come internally to us for it to be meaningful. Um, I don't know about you, but I read a lot of wordy books. I read a lot of religious books. I read a lot of self-help books, and intellectually, I kind of got a lot of things. But it wasn't an internal relationship. Uh-huh. It Didn't come from inside me. It came from outside in books, and I intellectualized it all. So, um, so it, it's a it's a shift in perception. It's a shift in perspective. I believe when you when you get to this to this point, you know, you yeah, only clear the uh, ground a bit.
0: I want. Sure. I want to. I want to interject something here real Absolutely. quick. Um, I, you know, in uh, and I'll just use this as an example because this is my experience. Uh, in, in Christendom, it's interesting that when one turns his will and his life over to the care of God, that the Spirit of God enters him. It doesn't say the Spirit God surrounds him or walks next to him or sits on his head, but it's within him, and that is so important to me because uh I've heard people say, well, they had to look on the outside, you know. Uh gollies, I, I don't I don't know, man. I, I've gotta have that I've gotta have that uh, uh that seed of faith. I believe that like the book says that God has given everyone to seek him. Um I'd be doomed without it, man. I can't I I can't imagine not living with the love of God in my heart. I can't even I can't even fathom it. It's uh
1: it's it's a very, very lonely existence out there for uh, for people who hold on to atheism or agnosticism.
0: Yeah, it especially
1: is. if you're suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction. Mm-hmm. I think you can you can kind of get by if you know if you don't have an addictive illness. But it spells complete disaster for the alcoholic or addict not to have a connection to God. Because yeah. you know that, that's what they're desperately reaching for, whether they know it or not. Anyway, in the drugs and alcohol. Yep. Uh, we can only clear the ground a bit if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself. Then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. So how do you not fail? Let's say let's say you're still agnostic or even atheist. Basically what you need to do is you need to sweep away any prejudice that you have. Uh, you need to think honestly. You need to search diligently within yourself. And if you do all that, you can join uh, those in recovery on the broad highway. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought was an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. Business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. This was the thought. Who are you to say there is no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. This happens a lot. Uh, to alcoholics and addicts at the end of their run, Monty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've, heard, you've heard these kind of stories time and time again, and so have I. It poured over uh, and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. There's that term again, the conscious contact, conscious companionship, the consciousness of God. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. <clears throat> no later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. <clears throat> Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the soda drink has never returned, and at such times a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink, even if he would. God had restored his sanity. Here's something I want to point out. Uh, In the second step, it says, a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. What they're talking about is God restoring you to sanity in drink. Now, it says here, seemingly he could not drink, even if he would. I believe very, very much in powerlessness. And this is my own personal uh, perspective, Monty. I believe alcohol has the power, or God has the power. If I'm rightly relating myself god then the then the power uh, of choice and drink is in his hands not mine not I, yours, I don't yeah. do well with choice of whether to drink or not <laughs> you, you know mm-hmm. and i don't believe that uh, i'm handed the power back and i can do whatever i want with it i believe that the power is on loan you know as long as i rightly relate myself to god uh, i'm i you know i'm safe and protected from uh, the next drink or the next drug
0: and it's his power
1: But it is. It's his power. power. And and I think it's arrogant to claim that for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been restored to sanity, and I now have power of choice. I I think that's arrogant, and I think it's dangerous.
0: Very arrogant. I don't have the power of choice. I mean, I don't breathe because I choose to. I breathe because God gives me breath.
1: And I think that's a really good way uh, to look at it. What is this but a simple miracle of healing, yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe... He humbly offered himself to his maker, uh, then he knew. Even so, has God restored all us all to our right minds. That's good news. That's a good promise. Yeah. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. The hoop that you have to jump through is larger than you think and that's the that's the chapter uh, uh, we agnostics we
0: did, we, did <laughs> we did it we did it we did it
1: we did what what are we on week 10 and we're only on chapter 5 yeah
0: something? but th- but that's okay this is um going through this and and we have the promo being made uh as we speak uh line line by line page by page is so Vitally important because we, I think all human beings have this tendency because of the uh, wanting to do what we want when we want it and so forth and so on. Is we tend to take things out of context. Um, we tend not to read everything because maybe there's some stuff in there we don't want to hear. And I see it all the time. I see it in big book studies, I see it in meeting, topic meetings and so forth. And I think, gollies, you're cheating yourself. You're not reading the chapter before. and You're not reading the chapter after. You're pulling this stuff out of context. So I think what we are doing is a very, very important thing that we are doing. And I hope, listeners, uh, that you will continue to listen to these shows. Um, you can go back. There's not an archive page for this because we're putting every one of these on the page uh, Walking through the big book with Chris Schroeder, every one of these broadcasts are on that one page. And that's, thank you so much for yeah. doing
1: that money. That's really excellent too.
0: Yeah, it makes it real easy for everybody to get to. They don't have to jump around all over the place, you know. And uh, once we get through this, and we, uh, you know, if if uh, Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, we we start something else. Well. We'll just have a really big page, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, would be, that would be excellent. I'd love to do a 12 and 12 uh, study. With oh, everybody. yes. I think that would be great.
0: I would love to do that. That would be awesome. Well, my friend, another great show. Thank you so much. And uh, what do you got planned tonight? You going to a meeting or just relaxing or what?
1: Well, you know, I I've, I've had uh, this is like my third show of the day. <laughs> I, I did I did uh, Bill White earlier. Then I, I was I was interviewed on another radio show, and and now you. And I actually had a commitment at a, at a local uh, local rehab that I just had to cancel. I'm still getting over pneumonia, Monty, and I just don't have a, a lot of strength, so I'm taking it easy the rest of the night.
0: All right. Well, we'll pray for you, man, with, about your pneumonia uh, as soon as we get off here and uh, put you on our prayer list with our family. And those of you out there that believe in prayer, pray pray for Chris. He's got to
1: get well. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Take care, Monty.
0: Okay, my friend. All right. Another great, uh, another great episode of Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder. Folks, don't forget to tune in to all of our shows. And until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Chris, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity.